Good morning, Crossroads family. Let me tell you, Cynthia and I are just so excited about being with you and starting this pilgrimage together as interim pastor and wife and church family. When I retired from full-time pastoral ministry back in August of 2020, by the way, the church I had been serving at for 15 years, you want to guess the name of it? Crossroads, that's exactly right. I told the church family that I had a lot of gas left in the tank, but I just wanted to back my foot off the accelerator a little bit. But I wanted to help churches in my retirement, and God has been so faithful and gracious to us to provide us two opportunities to serve churches as interim pastor and, and wife. We served a church in Hueytown for eight months, the Pleasant Ridge Baptist Church. And then at the end of August, we finished 14 months serving the First Baptist Church of Asheville, Alabama. And so we're just so grateful to God for this opportunity. We have enjoyed a meeting with your personnel team, and we thank God for them and the confidence that they have placed in us to come alongside of you and just to seek to help during this time of transition. And I want to just give you a little glimpse into my heart. That one word really is going to be behind all that I try to do as your interim pastor and all that Cynthia will do by my side, and that is help. How can we help forever how many months we have together as we look forward to the time when you will welcome God's man to be your next senior pastor. And I want to make these three commitments to you as I begin my time of service with you. I am going to love you, whether you like it or not. I'm going to love you, and I'm going to lead you the best that I can, and I'm going to leave you, all right, at some point. I, I will not be a candidate to be your next pastor, but I'll do all I can to prepare you to be ready to welcome God's man at that time. By the way, this is really my second time to preach in this building. I preached revival here some 30 years ago, maybe 31 years ago, when this was Mount Hebron West Baptist Church. Were any of you here over 30 years ago? A few of you were. You may remember Jimmy Vesey was your minister of music. He had been my minister of music at Katoma Baptist Church in Montgomery, my very first pastorate. And I left in 1986, and the next year he came right here to this spot to serve as your worship pastor. And it wasn't uh, too shortly after Ken Clement came to be your senior pastor that he invited me to come and preach a revival. And so I'm glad to be back with you here. It was interesting to me when I was recommended here to do a little research online and realized, oh, this used to be Mount Hebron West Baptist Church. But I think it's about five years ago that you changed the name to Crossroads Community Church. What a warm and welcoming name. We're looking forward to these coming months together, as much time as God gives us to serve together. And if you'll be patient with us, we'll learn as many of your names as we can as we go along. Well, if you've got your copy of God's Word this morning or your smart device, I'm going to invite your attention to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 14 this morning. And in a moment, we're going to read verses 3 through 9 together of Mark 14. By the way, the parallel passage 
of this text is found in Matthew 26 and also in John chapter 12. But we're going to read Mark's account. And as you see on the screen, the challenge of the message today is this. Let's do what we can for Christ. I'm going to read this passage aloud and you follow along silently. And if you are able, I'm going to ask you as we honor God's Word, would you stand out of reverence for the reading of God's Word? We begin here in Mark chapter 14 and verse 3. Mark records, and while he, and of course that's Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. And then look at what he said in verse 8. She has done what she could. She is anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And by reading this passage, and by bringing this message, we are doing exactly what Jesus foretold. We are telling again what she did for Jesus. And what did she do? She did what she could. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Thank you, friends. You may be seated. You know, when you come to the Gospels and you read the stories of Jesus, you'll discover something very fascinating. And it is this, that Jesus never did anything for Jesus. He never did anything for himself. Paul would write it this way in Romans 15, 3. Even Christ did not live for himself. Jesus said this about his own ministry in Matthew 20, 28. He said, and you know this verse, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And in that great Christological hymn in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7, Paul talks about what happened in the incarnation when he said that Jesus emptied himself and he took on the form of what? A servant. Friends, everything that Jesus did was for others. As a matter of fact, if you're following on, on your listening guide, I want you to note this first introductory truth. It'll be on the screen. And it is this. Everything that Jesus Christ did on earth was for us. It was for you. It was for me. Everything that he did. One preacher I heard on one occasion 
used alliteration to explain that, and he said it this way. Jesus Christ was born for us voluntarily. Jesus Christ lived for us virtuously. Jesus Christ died for us vicariously. Jesus Christ was raised again for us victoriously. And Jesus Christ is coming again for us visibly. Everything that Jesus did for us and all that He still does and will do. So the question that begs to be answered is this. What are we doing for Him? I saw a bumper sticker some years ago that asked that question in an interesting way. It said this, what on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? You might ask yourself that this morning, church. What on earth are you doing for the sake of heaven? Well, in our text, we see a beautiful example of a lady about whom Jesus said she did what she could. We see a beautiful act of love and worship and devotion and sacrifice. And she is a wonderful model for all of us. What he said of, us, of her, I would to God he could say of me that I've done what I could. I want you to note this second introductory truth on your listening guide and it is this. It is imperative in our day that Christians be challenged to lives of service. It was in 1961 in his inaugurational address that John F. Kennedy, that young president, gave this famous challenge when he said, ask not what your country can do for you. Well, we've come a long way since that, right? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Friends, I think it's way past time that pastors stood in pulpits and challenged their churches this way. Ask not what the Lord can do for you. Ask what you can do for the Lord. Ask not what the church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. We need to constantly, continuously, Remind each other that this is what it means to be Christian. You serve. You find a place to plug in and you go to work for the master. You do what you can. Now, as I said, we can learn a lot from this lady. Mark doesn't tell us her name. Matthew doesn't tell us her name. But when you get over to John chapter 12, you discover her name. You know who this was? This was Mary. This was the sister of Martha and Lazarus. You know, Jesus would often go to their home, even with his disciples. It was kind of a, a stopping off place, and he felt warmly welcomed there. And, of course, we know the story of his raising Lazarus from the dead. And, and John tells us in John chapter 12, that when Mary broke that alabaster flask and she poured that ointment on Jesus, that she anointed his feet. Now Mark and Matthew tell us that it was his head. There's no contradiction. She poured it all over him. She poured it on his head. She poured it out on his feet in a beautiful act of service and sacrifice and of love. And because of that act, Jesus gave Mary a place in God's hall of fame. 
And even as we just read, he said, what she did, wherever the gospel's preached, it's going to be told of her. And I assume the gospel's preached in this place. So we're telling it today. And the challenge, let's be like Mary. Let's do what we can. Five quick lessons I want you to note as we unpack this story and try to apply it to our lives today. The first is this. When we do what we can for Christ, we will need to be sensitive. Friends, I want to tell you, Mary was sensitive to the needs of Jesus like few others. And if you want to know the secret of Mary's sensitivity, of knowing what it was that Jesus needed, it is this. Almost every time you see Mary in the Gospels, you see her at the feet of Jesus. You can go to the end of Luke chapter 10 and Jesus and his disciples show up there at that house in Bethany. And we see this beautiful picture. Now Martha, she's like most of you ladies, she's got 13 unannounced guests and so she's in the kitchen. She's preparing a meal. But the scripture says that Mary sat at his feet and was listening to his word. Martha has an attitude problem in there in the kitchen, and she comes bursting out, and she says, Lord, don't you care that Mary has left me to serve alone? You tell her to get in here and help me. Now, the very fact that Martha would say she's left me shows me that Mary was serving for a while, but then she knew that there was a time to serve, but there was a time to sit. There was a time to work, but there was a time to worship. There was a time to labor, but there was a time to listen to the words of Jesus. Then you go to John chapter 11. And you see Mary again. Her brother Lazarus has died. Jesus has waited a few days to go. And John is careful to tell us that when she heard that Jesus was coming, she ran to him and she fell at his feet. So in the house, at his feet, listening to his word, then at his feet with a problem, with a broken heart, in her grief. And then in the next chapter, at his feet, the parallel passage to our story, she's pouring out that ointment, and she's worshiping him, and blessing him, and encouraging him. You see, she knew what Jesus needed. Somehow, I believe it had been revealed to her. And when you put this story in its chronological place, I want you to understand, this is Wednesday of Holy Week. In two days, He will be on the cross. Now, they're in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus had just been raised from the dead. It's a, it's a time of rejoicing. Simon, the former leper, is there. We don't know when he got healed, but certainly a time of praise and doxology over that miracle. Something was hanging in the air, and I believe that Mary sensed it, and she knew that more than, the, than, than Jesus needed meat for his stomach, he needed ministry to his heart. Friends, lean in close and understand this. If you want to know what's important to the Lord, spend time at his feet. You've got to be sensitive when it comes to your work, and it comes to your worship, and it comes to your giving. I want you to understand that the cross was two days away. Look on the screen at Mark 14 and verse 8. 
when Jesus makes this statement. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. In two days, he'll be dead. She won't be able to do anything for him then. As a matter of fact, I want you to think about this. On that first Easter Sunday morning, when the ladies were making their way to the tomb, what were they going to do? To anoint the body of Jesus. But they weren't able to anoint his body. Why not? Because he was gone. He had been raised from the dead. If he was going to be anointed by Mary, she had to do it then. Friend, here's a takeaway for you this morning. Let's do what we can for Christ. Let's do what we can while we can. You know, Jesus said, night is coming when no man can work. Brother Richard was talking to us about heaven. Friends, I'm telling you, there's some things that aren't going to be in heaven. There'll be no evangelism in heaven. There'll be no mission work in heaven. There'll be no more preaching in heaven. I'm out of a job. Richard still got to work. There's going to be music in heaven, right? There'll be singing in heaven. But folks, we've got to do what we can while we can because that night of death comes and it ends all human activity so while we have breath in our body while we have our health while we have opportunities while doors are open let's do what we can let's make a difference and in order to do that we must be sensitive item two i want you to notice on your listing god when we do what we can for christ it ought to be sacrificial sacrificial. I want you to look at this verse with me, Mark 14, 3. Let's look at it on the screen. We're going we're gonna to see something. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flack of ointment of pure nard. And Mark is careful to record, very costly. She broke the flask and poured it over his head. When the criticism comes, we Read just a moment ago, verse 5, the statement was it could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. You know what a denarius was? It was one day's wage. And so basically, this alabaster flack of this pure nard was equivalent to one year's income. Even at minimum wage, that would be somewhere between fifteen and $17,000. We don't know how Mary got that. We don't know if it was an heirloom that had been passed down. We don't know if she had saved and saved and saved to buy it. We do know this. She did not even use it on her own brother, Lazarus, when he died. It was so costly and so precious. But when Jesus shows up two days before the cross, she breaks it, she pours it over his head, she pours it over his feet. So what did she do? She did her best. She gave her best to Christ. She did what you and I ought to do. Give in a sacrificial way. Friends, when it comes to our giving to the Lord, we may not be able to give as much as somebody else. We may be able to give more than somebody else. It's never an issue of the amount. What counts to the Lord is that we give in an equal way sacrificially when we reach out and touch sacrifice.
Mary sure did. When I was growing up as a boy, 28 minutes from this church in Montgomery, I, I attended Ridgecrest Baptist Church. And I remember so many songs from my boyhood. And one of those songs was called Our Best. And there's a phrase in that song that says, Every work for Jesus will be blessed. But he asked from everyone his best. And then the song went, Our talents may be few, these may be small, but unto him is due our best, our all. Here's the question. Are you giving your best? Are you giving a way that's not only sensitive to the Lord, but is sacrificial? I guess one of the greatest stories about sacrifice in all the Scripture outside of the cross is what we read over in 2 Samuel chapter 24. David goes to the threshing floor of Arana. It's, it's a place where the plague that had come against the people of God had stopped. And David wants to buy the threshing floor. And he wants to build an altar to the Lord there. And Arana says, no, no, you're not going to buy it. I'm going to give it to you. You're the king. I'm going to give you the cattle. I'm going to give you the plowshares. You can break them up for wood. I'm going to give you this plot of land. And then I want you to look on the screen at 2 Samuel 24, 24. But the king said to Arana, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. Folks, how much is being done in our churches? that really cost very little or nothing. We need the heart of Mary. We need the heart of Arana when it comes to our giving to the Lord of our service. And yes, in a stewardship way, even with our finances. I think I might get an amen from this statement. It pays to serve Jesus. Amen indeed. But folks, listen to your interim pastor. It also costs. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you inconvenience. It'll cost you heartache. And yes, it'll cost you money. But I promise you this, our Lord deserves it. Let's do what we can, and let's be sure it's sacrificial. Here's a third takeaway from this story of Mary. When we do what we can for Christ, we will have to be steadfast. All Mary wanted to do was love on Jesus and honor Him and worship Him. But as soon as that last drop hit His head and feet and hit the floor, she found herself on the receiving end of withering criticism. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me if you would. Let's see about this matter of why we've got to be steadfast. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. Wow. You know what that reminds me of? How in almost every Baptist church I've ever been a part of, there's a self-appointed cold water committee. Y'all got one in this church? Probably not. They just, they just want to throw cold water on things. And many times it's the financial watchdogs that are so worried about how every 
penny is spent. Folks, one of the biggest shocks to my system, when I began pastoring in 1981, all I want to do is love people, preach God's Word, win people to Christ, help folks, that I would actually be criticized. I remember early in my ministry, one man especially, let's call him Jim, because I'm 28 minutes away from his family. <laughs> I'm telling you, he just opposed. I was a young guy, 26 years old. Anything I was for, he was against, and vice versa. Sometimes I felt like saying, before we go to the house, Brother Jim, could you stand and lead us in a word of criticism just before you know, we go to the house? I think of something that Charles Swindoll once said. Christian maturity comes when you move from having a hard heart and thin skin to having a soft heart and thick skin. Friends, you want to know something that Jesus said? Listen to this. In Luke 6, 26, woe to you when all people speak well of you. That great evangelist D.L. Moody said, if no man ever has anything to say against you, your Christianity isn't worth much. Folks, we're going to have to determine that we're going to be steadfast because people are not always going to be encouraging. They can be negative, and yes, I know, nauseating, but they can be very, very critical. It reminds me of one of my favorite stories. It's about two buffaloes. They were out there roaming on the range, their home on the range. The deer and the antelope were playing nearby. Skies were not cloudy. They hadn't been all day. When all of a sudden this cowboy rode up on his horse, he jumped off his horse. He went over to those two buffaloes. He grabbed both of them by their beards and he said, you're the ugliest critters I've ever seen in my life. You've got those oversized heads, that gross hump on your back, these scraggly beards, you stink to high heaven. Why, if I had my shotgun, I'd blow you to smithereens, drop their beards, hopped on his horse, and rode away. One buffalo turned to the other and said, you know, I think we just heard a discouraging word. <laughs> it's seldom. I know it's seldom. Friends, let me tell you, you hear discouraging words even in the church. And you know, when you read John's account of this story, you find that Judas said, what a waste. Judas said, this could have been sold and given to the poor. When Matthew and Mark record it, it's they said. In other words, what started off as a solo of criticism turned into a whole choir full of negativity and discouragement. Friends, listen. Press into this. This is why we've got to be very careful with our words because criticism is contagious and negativity spreads. You can let folks lead a worship, leave a worship service like this and get out there, you know, walk into the car in the parking lot and somebody say, yeah, wasn't that a great service today? And somebody else say, yeah, but here it comes. That preacher sure was long-winded. Somebody else said, did I hear you say the preacher's long-winded? Boy, he's getting longer and longer. Somebody else said, yeah, he preaches so long we can't beat the Methodists to the restaurants. 
Somebody else says, yeah, he, and he preaches so, so, so long, I want to go to sleep, but he hollers so loud, I can't go to sleep. And all of a sudden, one negative comment has spread like wildfire. Let's ask God to put a guard on our mouths and be very careful with our tongues. But if we're on the receiving end, we got to be steadfast. And by the way, we need to handle criticism the way Mary did. She kept quiet, and she let Jesus defend her. Which leads me to another takeaway. Another takeaway, item four, is this. When we do what we can for Christ, it will always be saluted. Not by the cold water committee. Not by the critics. Not by the negative folks. But by Christ. Look with me again at verse 6 of our text. We read here what Jesus had to say. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. They called it a wasteful thing. Jesus called it a beautiful thing. Friends, anything we do for Jesus is never wasted in his eyes it's beautiful. He assesses real value. And here's what matters, not what others think. What matters is, what does Jesus think? Amen? What matters is not, what are other people saying? What does Jesus have to say? And friends, I've come by to tell you this morning that you'll never do anything for Jesus Christ that goes unnoticed. It will always be saluted. I remember in days of ministry, now over 40 years, how many times have I felt like, well, today I did this or that, nobody noticed, nobody cared, I got no positive feedback, but then when I pillow my head, how many times in the midnight hour in my spirit did I sense this coming from heaven? Friends, let's live for the applause of heaven. Let's live for the approval, not of man, but of the Lord, that we sense the smile of God on our lives, that He is well pleased. Live for that day when we stand before Him and we hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Which leads me to this very last truth, item five. When we do what we can for Christ, it will always be significant. He takes what we do and he turns it into something beautiful, something that's lasting, something that is deeply significant. Let's read verse nine again and be reminded of what he said about this act of Mary. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Mary had done a loving deed. But friends, it was a lasting deed. And listen to me. Here's why she did it. Not to be noticed. Not to be recognized. Not to get her name in the bulletin. 
not to outdo her sister Martha. Hey, she did not do it even to be recognized by Jesus. She did what she did in that sacrificial act of worship because she loved Jesus. You know, when you read John's account, John says that when she broke that alabaster flask, the fragrance filled the room. It was about 11.5 ounces, a Roman pound, of expensive ointment probably imported from India. But by the phrase, the fragrance filled the room, it was overpowering. And friends, remember, we're just two days away from the cross. You know what I believe? I believe that scent stayed with Jesus when he was arrested, when he was beaten, when he went through those illegal trials, even when he was hanging on the cross. Whether literally or figuratively, that scent was still with him. And any time in churches just like this, I see someone serving and giving and sacrificing and worshiping and doing what they can, and doing all they can, doing the best that they can, while they can, I still catch a whiff of that pleasant aroma. And anything else is just going to go up in a puff of smoke. C.T. Studd was a wealthy cricket player in England. When he came to surrender to Christ, He became a missionary in China and in Africa. He wrote a famous poem, and I love this line. My mama actually had this on a plaque in our house. I saw it every day of my life growing up. And it said, "'Tis only one life, t'will soon be past, and only what's done for Christ will last." Folks, don't you want to be a part of something that's going to last forever? Someone said it this way, when the mountains crumble into dust, when the oceans dry up like deserts, when the sun is a dying ember, when the stars fall like ripe figs from the sky, what we've done for Jesus will live on and it will last forever. I promise you, He makes it. Significant. And listen to this. Don't ever let not being able to do more keep you from doing what you can. That's what he said. She has done what she could. I want you to drop to that conclusion and note this truth. One day, we will be evaluated not just for what we did, but for what we did compared to what we could have done. So I'm going to ask you on my first day as your interim pastor, what can you do? There's an old statement that says, I can't do everything, but I can do something. And what I can do, I ought to do. And what I ought to do by the grace of God, I will do. Where's a place that you can plug in and give and serve and go to work for the master and pour out upon him a valuable essence from your life. I want to challenge you. Let's do what we can. I'm going to do what I can 
in whatever time I have as your interim pastor, I'm challenging you to do the same. And here's the last thing I want to say to you if you look at the screen. When we stand before Christ one day, we will all wish that we had done more. So let's do what we can, when we can, and while we can, the best that we can, and let's do it now. Amen, church? Amen. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. In just a moment, Brother Brandon is going to be standing here at the front, this place of prayer. Brother Richard and these folks are going to lead us in singing a song about the blessing. And friends, here's what I've discovered. If you want the rich blessings of Christ on your life, you better go to work. You can't serve the devil much better than joining a Baptist church and doing nothing. What can you do? Can you get involved somewhere? Can you get in a life group and be active? Can you rock a baby in the nursery, change a diaper, work with little children, work with students, young people, teenagers, serve in a benevolent way, welcome people, park cars, be on the tech team. There's so many things. I'm sure that this staff, if you just say, where can I serve? How can I help? I need to be doing more. I've not been doing all that I can while I can. Maybe today you're here and you've never come to Christ. I'm going to tell you what you can do. You can be saved. If you realize that Jesus Christ lived the life you could never live and he died the death you deserved, he died on that cross for your sins, was raised from the dead to give you his life, and you'd be willing to get out of the Savior business and trust him, he'll come into your life, forgive your sins, Make a reservation for you in heaven. Your life will never be the same. Here's what you can do. You can be saved. Some can make a fresh surrender to the Lordship of Jesus today. Somebody here today can come and join this church. On the first day of this pastor's service as an interim, in this time of transition, come. This church is going to find God's man at God's time. But come on and be a part. You've been coming. You've been worshiping here. You can come and join this morning. As I said, Brandon will be here to greet you. If you need to come and pray at the altar or just pray right there where you are, you do some business with the Lord as we sing. Lord, have your way now in this invitation, we pray. May those who ought to come do so as you tug at their hearts. May anything that would hold them back be done away with, and may they come. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.